Screenless. Making a soundtrack. Opening scene and action. Fifty grams of unsalted butter, soften three eggs. Oh god, where do I put the caster sugar? It's Dan. Two hundred and fifty. Yeah, Dan. Yeah. What are you doing? We're, me- we're meant to be making an episode. Oh, well, I'm mixing. You make. <laughs> I'm making some biscuits, so I'm <laughs> just mixing them up. Just how I roll. All right, so. Yeah, that bit will be cut, okay. Yes, yeah. yes. I wouldn't want people yeah. to think I'm some sort of idiot or something. No, they, would, they wouldn't no, think they would. that. Good. They oh, wouldn't good, think good, that. good, good. Okay, well, uh, is Tristan joining us today? Yes, now, uh, I believe he's been on yet another holiday. God, he's always oh, on God, holiday. I don't know, the youth of today, they just don't know, do they? Hey? <laughs> they, they don't, don't know. know. Is, that, is that it? They, they just, just don't know. They you for today. They just don't know today. Uh, yeah, so I think I, I believe he's been on holiday again. Wasn't it one of those uh, ski holidays? Yes, yes, it was. Lots uh, of yogurt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Dan, look out the window. Is there someone coming down the road on a set of skis? Yeah, and they're wearing lycra too. It's a full ski outfit. <laughs> That's tight. Oof, oof, that is tight. Oh. It looks kind of like Tristan's cycling outfit, but... Tristan, is that you? Hey, hey guys. What? I, Trist- I was waiting for the snow. The snow has not arrived, so I'm just uh, oh. just skiing down the road. Okay. When was it due? About two hours' time, I think. It's just waiting for it to, you know, come oh. down and... I'll be ready. I'll be, I'll be ahead of the curve. That's, that was my thinking. It's like buses, isn't it? You, you wait for one and then there's an avalanche of them. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> No words. So, we're all here. Today we're talking about the mixer. At this point in the process, I think, well, there is a connection with science almost. These people are engineers. Yeah. You know, you've got the mixing engineer, you've got the, the mastering engineer after that, you've got the recording engineer before that. And so we're getting into real kind of scientific territory where we're talking about signals and levels and all sorts of treatment for the audio. Techno wizardry. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. in the early days of Abbey Road, they did actually wear white coats. Yes, they did. They yeah, did. Lab coats. Yes. And there are a couple of people nowadays. Uh, Steve Alboni is a producer. He wears like a boiler suit rather than anything else. <laughs> but there you go, you know, each to their own. Yeah. Yeah. So that means that Fiona in this episode has mentioned quite a lot of things that maybe some of our listeners might not understand. So maybe we can run through some of those things and you could give us some answers. Yeah, cool. Yep. Okay, so let's start with Tristan. Tristan, what are stems? Stems are basically a collection of instruments. So it can be, you know, you can have stems as brass, strings, uh, you know, woodwinds, things like that. Or you can have stems within that so it could be violin one violin two viola cello bass flute oboe you know that sort of thing so you have to you have to sort of liaise with whoever you're working with at the time and ask which stems they need are they are they group stems i.e brass and strings or is it 
more detailed so instruments within those groups. Yeah, very good. Uh, Dan, Fiona speaks about a dub. What would a dub be? Uh, the dub in this case is where all the elements, audio-wise, come together and get mixed to the picture. So it's taking, obviously, the music, which is the thing we're focusing on, but it's also taking any sound effects, any foley. Uh, foley is basic movement and noises that they re-record afterwards, so footsteps, things like that. Uh, atmospheres, which is literally just recordings of the outside spaces or inside spaces, uh, and it's all mixed together by the dubbing engineer, the dubbing mixer, and uh, then made ready for broadcast. Brilliant, brilliant. And you've said before that's one of your favourite parts. I love, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. On the shows that I've worked on, if I've managed to get down to the dub, that's when all of the magic comes together and you see everything and you see the picture properly graded for the first time because as composers or anyone else working actually to be honest you don't you don't get the finished proper graded picture you get a you get the hopefully final locked picture but it hasn't had all of the uh, extra processes done to it yet to make it look absolutely lovely so you get to see the lovely picture and you get to hear absolutely everything that is going to be along yeah. with it so it's a real yeah. special moment yeah there's an episode in season one of Making Soundtrack uh, with Melton Baytock, who's a, a Foley artist. That was a really fascinating insight, yeah. wasn't it, into, yeah. into that side of things. What's a limiter and a compressor? Okay, so a limiter is something that will stop audio from going over a certain level. They also have a makeup gain so that it will squash the audio, but it will never go beyond a specific level. That's a limiter, whereas a compressor does something very similar. It compresses, also has makeup gain, so you can make it louder again afterwards, but it's done to a ratio. So every time you will set a threshold on a compressor, compressor you will set the <laughs> threshold which is the moment the loudness that you want it to start compressing above and if any audio signal goes above that then it is turned down by the compressor at a ratio that you set thank you professor watts you're welcome in terms of reverb what does wet and dry mean so basically wet means you know with reverb and dry means without reverb you know often in something like air hall or abbey road you're you're gonna get uh, you know, an element of <laughs> wetness, if that is the correct term, because the, the rooms do have reverb in them. Yeah, some yeah. studios are completely dry, like Angel, which is sadly closed now. It used to be very dry. Um, but what you can do is actually put the reverb on a send or an augs channel and mix the reverb in. Just to be clear, because you mentioned the halls and the rooms themselves having reverb, you can't do anything about that. That's all done with mic placement. What you're talking about with mixing in on a send, which is where you send a portion of the audio channel to another one which has the reverb attached to it, that is adding artificial reverb. Yes. And, uh, you know, that's half the beauty of these uh, amazing studios is that they have this beautiful mm. natural resonance in the rooms, isn't it? Which is f fantastic for orchestras. Yeah. yeah, it's about the sound of the room, definitely. Yeah. Right, who wants to take the word bounce? I think we've uh, explained this before, but just for convenience. Yeah, I'll do that. But I'm, before I do that, I'm just going to stick something in about stems. STEMS actually stands for Stereo Masters. Uh, it's a shortening yes. of Stereo Masters. 
Right. What am I? What What's the other thing I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we've We've explained the word bounce before, oh, but bounce. just for convenience. Yes. So bounce. So when you're working in a computer, you'll be working in a door or digital audio workstation. That's what that stands for. And when it's time for you to present the work or send the work somewhere else or whatever it is you need to do, you need to get it out of that door. And to do that, you need to bounce, which is essentially take all the tracks that you've made in there and turn them into a stereo file. And that can be an MP3 or a WAV. A WAV. More likely to be a WAV. Yeah. But you can bounce to MP3, you can bounce to WAV, you can bounce to... All sorts, yeah. All sorts, yes. Essentially, it's just a fancy word for export, isn't it? export yes it really it is, is. Yeah. yeah 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 uh finally fiona was talking about tempo map so the tempo map comes as part of the midi file and the midi file gets exported out of the composer's daw and imported into the pro Tools session um for the mixing engineer and essentially within the midi file there is a tempo map all the midi data which actually isn't necessary for the mixing engineer and the tempo map will include, obviously, the tempo itself and time signatures. And I'm, I can't remember why she actually wanted that. Uh, for delays and other such oh, stuff, yes. it's just a lot quicker. Um, also, yeah. it's easier to check if there's been a mistake on a bounce. Sometimes if you've got the tempo map there, you can go, well, hang on a minute. Why does that suddenly stop there? Or why does that go on for a little bit longer when the bar actually ends earlier? You can see. So without having to phone up, you might be able to phone up and say, actually, what you've done here is you've bounced something incorrectly or, you know, the computer's thrown a funny, as they sometimes do, uh, or something else. But it's just a a good way of being able to check what's been sent to you against what as they, what they hope has been sent to you. Uh, that's another reason why Fiona says that the demo is important as well, because obviously you'll be able to hear if there's anything missing or has yeah. there been any mistakes, because you'll have the demo of it as well, which will be a bounce. Yes, indeed, indeed. So speaking of Fiona, she has been a, an absolutely lovely guest. She took time out. I was thinking, actually, when I was editing her chat with Tristan, Tristan opens it with, thank you for joining us on a Saturday. And I thought, I'll take that out. And then I thought, no, our guests have given up their time so willingly and and they've been so pleased to do that. I just wanted to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. We, we have some coming up. But yeah, I mean, if you're just starting out in the industry, I would urge you to pay things forward. You know, if you have some amazing experiences then just take the time. If someone's asking for your help, help them. Yeah. You know, we, we're seeing this every single time. Fiona has mixed for productions like Dark, Sex Education, Dracula, Endeavour, The Gentleman. She's got so many years of experience, and yet she's perfectly willing to set aside a few hours on a Saturday morning to speak to us and to pass on her experience and insights. I think that's just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and it's been, it's been the same for all the guests. All the guests have done that. Yes. So with, uh, with that in mind, shall we go behind the scenes and listen to Fiona's chat? We can, but I think you're forgetting something first. Oh, I am. Yes, because you've been hard at work finding facts out about... I'd say finding facts out, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. To, to an extent. I don't know what quite what you do. Do you kind of get to the third fact and think, yeah, bored now, I'm just going to start <laughs> making stuff up? <laughs> well, 
No, these these, these are all. I, I've found all of these on the internet. And right. As okay. we know, the internet is one hundred percent accurate. <laughs> okay. So, without further ado, Fandango. Fiona's love of engineering began when her piano teacher noticed that she was more interested in his studio than his piano. She studied music and sound recording at the University of Surrey and from there got a runner job at Air Studios where she's been based ever since. Fiona spent most of 2014 developing her hot cocktail dispenser, Hottails, which alas, although having a limited run in motorway service stations, never really caught on. Although based at Air, she's worked in many of the top studios in London, including Abbey Road, Rack, Strongroom, Snap. Her favourite biscuit is a chocolate round. Her favourite colour is leopard. And she once sang Ava Maria backwards while scuba diving off the coast of Borneo. Thank you to Dan and the internet for those facts. <laughs> Let's go behind the scenes then. Let's. Hey Fiona, thanks very much for joining us on a Saturday morning. <laughs> Hello. Could you just run us through the job of a mixing engineer? The job of a mixing engineer is to take what the composer has done, I suppose, and make it sound as good as it possibly can. And in the context of film and TV world, it's also kind of acting as a bit of a go-between uh, between the composer, maybe, and the dub or the final kind of delivery so I take a bit of an organizational role in terms of finding out what stems we need if we need any stems are we mixing in stereo are we mixing in surround and then I once I've mixed and everything's approved by the composer make a session for the dub that's got all the cues in it all lined up and in the right place so they can just import those tracks into their Pro Tools session and it's all ready to hit play and in the correct place. Awesome. The recording engineer will have delivered everything you need for the mix, but what deliverables are essential for you to do your job? So whenever I'm talking to a new composer and kind of making requests for what I want for the mix, um, it's obviously your sort of multi-track stems that you've bounced out for me. And I always try and discuss how I want them. So the first thing is to bounce things out without any sort of mix effects so without the sort of limiter you might have put on to make it loud enough to send, without a compressor that you quickly put on the piano, you know, just to make it sit in there for now, and without any kind of reverbs, ideally. But then I do want you to bounce it with anything creative and kind of essential to that sound. So if you've spent ages working on this cool piano delay that makes it sound like something else, bounce it with that because it'll take me forever to recreate it and it's yeah. such a key part of your sound but as I say no kind of mix effects so that's the first thing I ask for and sometimes it's nice to have an option of things wet and dry if you're quite attached to a reverb that you've used so then I can either use yours or try and replicate it with something that I've got and the reason for that is just that I find a key thing about making everything blend nicely, I suppose, is using the same reverbs on everything or trying to kind of get a consistency with the effects. Uh, so if I've got half of the stuff with your reverbs on and then I'm trying to add mm. some, then it doesn't always sit together that nicely. So it's good to have it dry. And then the other thing I need, I suppose, is MIDI. So MIDI so that I can import the tempo map. And a lot of people forget that we might need a tempo map. And sometimes... <laughs> 
your tempo mapping, your logic session, or, you know, doesn't really mean anything anymore, which is quite tricky. Um, but in terms of us putting on delays and also just being, it can be useful if I need to do any quick timing or, so a tempo map is, is really useful. And the picture, if we're mixing to picture, and dialogue if you've got it separate, although sometimes I can bring that in with the picture. Um, I always check my mixes to dialogue and check that it's all going to sit in there nicely and try and help the dubbing mixer out like that. So I definitely need the picture. Okay. The last and probably most important thing is a demo. <laughs> I need to hear what's been approved and what you've fallen in love with and what everyone's lived with for months on end so that I can try and replicate it, but make it better. Can you tell us what a typical orchestral mix session entails? A typical orchestral mix session, it kind of depends on where the orchestra was recorded <laughs> and what the room was like and also of course on I guess the type of music that we're going for so if it's been recorded in in somewhere like Abbey Road or Air then the room already sounds really nice but some other rooms that I get recordings from kind of have some interesting sort of frequencies maybe <laughs> some harsher upper mids um so that's the first thing. It's like getting the recording in, listening to the sound of the room and working out what I'm going to do. And I guess I start by trying to make a nice balance, bringing up the room mics and then bringing in maybe close or mid, just trying to think about getting in a bit more detail. And then I start to add EQ. And as I say, depending on the room, I might not need to do that much. But for some places, I try and fix it a bit, I suppose, by helping by take out the sort of upper mid frequencies or or anything it might be even just a something in the low end that's really booming and taking over or so listening out for mm -hmm. that really and then I start to think about reverb if it's a really dry room but we're trying to make kind of lush orchestral big filmic sound then I tend to start by putting on a reverb that makes it sound like it's in a nice room so it's probably shorter and I use more of it and then I'll maybe put on another reverb that's more of an effect to kind of get that lushness and replicate that. But then again, it really depends on the music. So some of the stuff I do a bit of orchestral pre-mixing for people so that they can bring it into their world and mess around with it. Um, one of the clients I have like that is Ben Frost, who does Dark and recently did Raised by Wolves. So he records strings or brass and kind of more effectsy stuff rather than a big yeah. lush melodic cue. And then okay. I'll look at it and go, okay, he's going to put this through effects and he's going to do loads of interesting stuff. So I'm not really looking at making it wet or reverby, but I'm thinking, how can I make this sound as interesting and like as fat as possible so that when he <laughs> brings it in, even it's just like loud enough as well to manipulate. Um, so then I might look at putting on some coloured compression, something like a Fairchild or maybe some tape machine, you know, something that really brings out the sort of body of it mm. um, so that then when he puts it through his effects, it's it sounds fat and big and yeah. amazing. <laughs> and do you ever sort of get overwhelmed by how many mic positions there are, options that, that you know, the composers chose or the recording engineer has chosen to record say a string section or something i mean there must be quite a lot of mics to choose from yeah that's a good point and some sometimes it is composers as well i'm doing a session next week and the composer has asked for a, a mic per player oh wow which i wouldn't normally do but 
in these sort of COVID times with everyone mm. more distanced. I think, and for his sound, some things might just need that. You know, often it's like it's like a lot of options that you don't use all of the time. But then for this one cue, you might really want a close sound and less rooms and you might use those mics, you know. So I guess I just have to go through and when I see, okay, right, that's like a load of close mics. Group that together, turn that off for a start. You know, it's kind of like breaking it into subgroups really so that you can, as you say, manage it and and think about it more rather than like, oh, there's 40 mics, what am I doing? (laughs) We had Sagan Akinola on the show uh, for our first episode and he mentioned that he's super involved all the way through the process. How do you generally communicate with the composer about their intentions for how the mix should sound? It's different with different people. One thing that's brilliant about Sagan is he usually has some really good references to send you which is super helpful. So, I mean, if I was mixing a record, I would definitely be talking to the artist about other albums that they love or vocal Mm. sounds they love and and that kind of thing. And with Sagan, he does the same with orchestral music. He'll send me something and be like, love the kind of depth and the kind of amount of room sound or the brass on this. And on this album or record, I love the sound of the harp and the way they've treated the harp. And on this, you know, so he'll kind of give you different references to listen to which definitely helps both with how to record something and and also obviously in in mixing. But also the key thing is the demo. As you say, that's what's been approved by the director and that's your mix and how you see it. And really, I I don't want to go too far. I mean, some people want me to, but most of the time it's like, can you make it sound like the demo but better? That's kind Mm. of the job and um, making sure then that I understand, okay, this is more of a an indie score it's a coming of age story and it's like an indie rock thing so do you want me to keep that intimacy or do you want me to make it sound more filmic and posh or do we find something in between yeah this is a string thing when you think of a score like midsummer for example when it's so like in your face and then you compare that to something some people want a quartet to actually sound like an orchestra and blend in with samples and sound really lush so it's important before I start to say yeah what's your idea of how this will sound um, and what kind of scale are you thinking of that's interesting that you mentioned you know can you make it sound like the demo but better because I feel like that sort of harks back to our orchestration episode because that is kind of the job of a modern orchestrator um, you know trying to make it sound like the demo because that's what like as you say that's what's been signed off yeah and then there's such a fine balance of sort of being too safe and then going miles off. And it's like, well, that can't be approved now. So mm, Exactly. It's like nobody wants any big surprises, but they still want you to enhance it. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's tricky. Exactly. It's tricky balance, isn't it? And similarly, as composers, I guess you're following off an attempt or, you know, it's been passed down through the whole process because a director or editor yeah. has decided like, this is the music we want write it just like that and you're like okay but obviously I have my own style so I, I want to write my music not <laughs> so you're chasing something and then you finally settle on something that everyone likes and then we're you know then orchestrators are chasing that and then mixers are chasing this. Like, we're all sort of like chasing this original idea I suppose and who's the next person in the chain uh, what do you need to deliver and how do you deliver the final mixes so the next person after me usually um, the composer will put me in touch with the dub so the post-production house that's doing the final mix and then with the composer usually it's it's asking them what they need a lot of tv things are still done in stereo but 
then some companies like Netflix are now asking for 5.1 as a delivery requirement. So it's finding out what they need in terms of stereo 5.1 and what they're expecting in terms of stems. So the thing I was doing this week, they were like, we've got a music editor, the more stems, the better. We'd love loads of control. Up to 12 stems is great. And then a documentary I was doing the week before, they were like, oh, please don't give us more than four stems. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like, okay. <You> know? <laughs> so um, sort of part of the start of the mixing process actually is going, listening to all the demos and going, right, what, what's a good idea for stems here? What are they going to be worried about? You know, is there something really melodic that they're going to worry about against the dialogue? Or is it going to be this acoustic guitar that would potentially interfere? Or it's just kind of working out what, what they'll need stems-wise. But usually I decide that with the composer rather than someone at the other end telling me, unless there's a specific thing that the director has requested separately. So, yeah, the next person in the chain is the post-production house and I send them a Pro Tools session. All the stems consistent. So it's just, we just try to make it as easy as possible for them, really, so that there's no ambiguity. This is what we want it to sound like and this is where it is. Yeah, and in this case you're talking about group stems rather than sort of individual stems, i.e. strings, brass, winds, rather than every kind of instrument within those. Yes, absolutely. So my stems will be more like synths, piano, as you say, strings yeah. as a whole, that kind of thing. What if someone needed to get their hands on something more specific? Are these sessions archived in case someone needed to go back to you and say, oh, actually, we, can, we, can we just make a slight change there? Yes, well, I keep everything, but... Interestingly, I don't think any composer has ever asked me for a copy of my mix sessions. (laughs) (laughs) So it's always been someone going, actually, they've requested this now. Would you mind, as you say, going back in and just printing that separately so they've got control or turning that down a bit and then I just do it for them and send it back. But that's a really good point. (laughs) (laughs) Probably completely irrelevant and probably get cut out, but um, I was just quite interested in that. (laughs) Yeah. You're sort of relying on the fact that I, I, I mean, I always keep two copies of everything, but what happens if my drive dies one day? I don't know. Well, I'm just I thinking guess... like in 10 years, if I were working with you and then I came back to you and I was like, Fiona, I need, can we can we dig out that episode there? The longer it goes on, I hope that it would be fine. <laughs> but usually people have requests a bit quicker than that. Or it'll be something like, we've got a soundtrack album. Yay, we didn't know we were going to have a soundtrack album. You know, can I have yeah. this separately so that I can... You know, because quite often composers will do the album stuff themselves, but they might use my stems to tweak it a bit. Gotcha. Okay. How do you deal with the variety of genres that are thrown your way? For instance, sex education sounds a lot different to Dracula. That is one of the, like the best parts of my job is the variety of stuff I, I get sent. And I absolutely love that. I guess I was quite lucky in training at air because we always did a variety of, of music, both orchestral, but also because the studios there have you know, band clients or jazz clients or classical clients. You know, I was always kind of in the world of a huge variety of of things. And I do listen to a a lot of different types of music. But if I kind of know specifically, okay, this is a surf movie. I'm going to listen to some kind of 50s or some surf punk basically um or I'll, it's like oh this is more like 70s rock cool what what shall i listen to to sort of engross myself in that world really and it is kind of trying to find my own references to make sure that yeah, i'm okay. in the right ballpark <laughs> it might be more modern than that but it just helps to listen to the right kind of genre i suppose as i'm getting into it and also 
you know, getting the demos and having those conversations, as we said before, with the composer, they might give me references for like, oh, this is so-and-so's guitar sound to a T, if you can just try and mimic that or... Or if you could just make it sound like John Williams, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> would you say that it's quite a tricky thing to do? Or would you say because of the training at air that you've had, that it becomes easier for someone like yourself? I think it is tricky and it gets easier with every year that I'm doing it, you know, because you're just trying things out and learning all the time. And at the end of the day, I guess the idea is like just make whatever that is sound as good as possible so I'm using my instincts even if it doesn't sound exactly like a reference you know if mm. I'm kind of happy that everything sounds good then that's you know the job kind of thing yeah. so it, it's difficult but the aim is still the same <laughs> yeah and there okay. are certainly some things that I think that make me nervous let's say really still okay. as a recording engineer as well as a you know because you like I think okay I've, I've done a lot of strings now mm. I like to think I'm quite good at that <laughs> but <then laughs> if you make me record a punk band Mongolian nose flute <laughs> am I good at recording a punk band I've only done one punk band you know like <laughs> yeah. so that's when definitely listening helps <laughs> yeah awesome and how do you like to enjoy the finished tv show or film ideally although it's tricky at the moment go to the cinema and hear it in all its glory on massive speakers as loud as possible. <laughs> but it's been quite sad that a lot of things we've all worked on haven't had a cinema release. But that, you know, I always try and see it in the cinema if I can. And, and obviously if it's on TV, then it's... I am a bit of a telly head. You know, like I've always watched a lot mm. of TV. <laughs> Some people <laughs> get very bored and, and wouldn't... You know, my boyfriend can't sit down for long enough to watch... <laughs> <laughs> even when it's something I'm worked, I've worked on it's like come on come and watch this film <laughs> can't sit down for that long but I'm just like great this series is out and I'm gonna watch it all <laughs> you got we've got a binge watcher on our hands here <laughs> absolutely it's lucky that I don't have that much time off otherwise <laughs> I'd be totally square yeah, all of it would be spent just watching tv <laughs> yeah it's so as well it's sort of like Part of the research, isn't it? I like watching different drama shows and just seeing what everyone's up to and discovering new people mm. as well. And by, you know, did you watch Devs, for example? Like, that score was insane. <laughs> or um, I've been watching a lot of Flowers and Ghosts recently for the sort of darker comedy pick-me-up. And I yeah. love the music in that. Those, you know, just, yeah, I love discovering new new things like that. Thank you so much for joining us today. I've really, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I particularly enjoy listening to you talk about the sort of the correlation between orchestration and mixing. What's particularly interesting is that we both can't stray too far from the composer's original demo. Mm, like, yeah. as we said in the interview, there's a, there's a really fine balancing act between being way too safe and then going miles away from the composer's original demo. And I think that's going to be quite interesting to draw those two comparisons you know if people go back to the orchestration episode and then listen to this one i think there'll be more to pick up from absolutely so yeah it's been super interesting and uh, thanks again thank you very much Thanks to Fiona again for that lovely chat and thank you Tristan for yet another awesome interview there. 
Thank you. Yeah, well done, Tris. Thank you. Yeah, I had uh, a couple of thoughts about that. The fact that Fiona's already thinking about the dubbing editor yep. by watching with the dialogue, and she's kind of already thinking ahead about what the dubbing editor will want to receive. That was really fascinating, I thought. She also mentioned about pre-mixing at one point, which yeah. was a, a really, I suppose, a trend which I don't know how old this trend is. Uh, maybe you guys know, but the receiving the file and making it sound as big as possible so that that recording can then be manipulated and put through other machines or whatever to make it sound different. Well, it, that was specifically she was talking about Ben Frost and yeah. the way that he works on Dark and the mm. likes. And it's fascinating because it kind of makes sense. Obviously, it's it's a very personal thing and it's something that he will have spoken to her about. I would like that, you know, I would like the orchestra mixed in this way. And I'm assuming that it's mainly sections that he gets and then so it'll be the brass, the strings, the percussion, so on and so forth that he will get and he will get individual stems of those that he can then process in all sorts of weird and wonderful ways to make the sort of horrible yeah. soundscapes that he does for dark and i mean horrible in a nice way if <laughs> that makes sense yeah. um appropriate but yeah and i think that is just it just suits his way of working rather than being sent the 40 50 different mic choices and that was something i was going to talk about mm. was the uh the ridiculousness of miking up that many people you've mm. suddenly got 40 50 60 70 people yeah. Um, all being mic'd up and a multitude of mic choices. And do you really, as the composer, have time to go through all of that, <laughs> pick the bits that you like, the mic choices you like, then bounce them down to a stereo stem or whatever, yeah. and then go on to the, the next creative process, which is processing them. And I think that's why Ben Frost has Fiona do that for him because yeah. it speeds up the workflow of everything. He hasn't got time. I'm not saying he couldn't do it. I'm sure he could, but he hasn't got time to do that on a television yeah. show. Well, that's a, a major theme, isn't it? Time. Time yeah. is money for the orchestra yeah, the, soundtrack. Yeah, something I, I wanted to pick up on was the amount of work that's involved. So you say you mixed it. Oh, I mixed it. Yeah. But that's, it's, that's not just, you know, it's, it's like Paul. I recorded it. You mm. know, from his episode... And Fiona's, we know that there's some stuff that has to happen beforehand and there's some stuff that has to happen afterwards as well. It's not just the actual task that you're getting paid for. There's pre- and post-production on it. All stuff that gets taken for granted. Yeah. I think what also is interesting is highlighting the chain of communication. Gareth, you mentioned, you know, that Fiona's thinking about the dubbing mixer. Well, it, it really does highlight that, you know, there there is a, a chain of command, you know, from the composer trying to impress the director, you know, the mix engineer is then trying to impress the composer. Mm. There is sort of that chain of command, which I find quite interesting. And it, it really accentuates the fact that this is a team effort. Yeah. And I suppose going back to, you know, what Fiona was saying about the importance of having a, the demo, it's always working back to that original vision that's been signed off isn't it? Yeah, Tristan, you were saying about yeah. the orchestration is the same. You know, you're still trying to work towards that vision. Yeah, yeah, it's got to sound better than the demo, but not too far away from the demo. Yeah. And again, you you mentioned that at the end of the interview. <laughs> it's a, it's a very fine line, isn't it? You want it to sound like this, but better, which is yeah, you know, ultimately, yeah. <laughs> How long yeah. is a piece of string? It is hard. It's it's hard to do it. 
Great. Uh, any other thoughts about that? Sharing a, a vision with the composer. Uh, she mentioned working with Sagan and how he'll point out elements of records or film soundtracks and say, oh, I love the, love the way the harp sounds yeah. in that or I love the yeah. way the room sounds in that. And that is important, I think, in any element of, you know, any job. If you're an orchestrator, you know, I've worked with people who send me links and say, I really love the, the strings in this and all, all mm. sorts of things. And that, that really helps you to work with the composer very closely about what, what it is they want to achieve. Yeah, that's amazing. Don't forget that if you head to makingasoundtrack.com, there are bonus questions that each of our guests has been asked. So there's a bonus content there for each episode. Bonus. Okay, Tristan, are you ready to get back on your skis? Ooh. Yeah, I've got to go back uphill. I uh, don't know how I'm going to do that on skis. <laughs> I, think, I think you do it sideways. <laughs> uh, anyway, Dan, is, uh, is, that a, is that a wrap? Is it? Is it? <laughs> You're right, Dan. That's a wrap. <laughs> there we go. That's a wrap. How do you find us? Makingasoundtrack.com will tell you all you need to know. Links to the podcast, social media links, and there's information about us as well. If you're enjoying the podcast, it would make our day if you could give us a positive rating or review. Details of that are at makingasoundtrack.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, hit that share button and recommend it to someone. That's it for this episode. That's that. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Social media links and there's information about us as well. (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing at me holding my phone up. It'd be even worse if I was like this. (laughs) 